Welcome to the Kate Languages podcast. I'm your host, Kate Clifton. I'm a former MFL teacher who left the classroom in 2017 to set off on my own adventure. Since then, I've developed my passion for helping teachers through creating time-saving teaching resources, delivering language lessons and CPD to languages teachers, and of course, through this podcast. I've had some wonderful feedback from teachers about how my work is helping them with their everyday teaching, and I love connecting with teachers from all over the world. To get in touch, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. I'm at Kate Languages on both, or you can email me through my website, katelanguages.co.uk. But for now, grab a cuppa, although maybe not if you're listening in the car. Sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of the Kate Languages podcast. how are you? Welcome back to another episode of the Kate Languages podcast. This is actually a bonus episode because to be perfectly honest with you, this interview was just too good to wait (laughs) to publish. So I'm so, so, so excited. I'm going to be talking to Krista Hazel today. Krista doesn't need a huge introduction, but she's going to tell you a little bit about herself in a moment. But yeah, so we're going to be talking about creativity in MFL. And I just... I'm so excited about this. And like I said, I just wanted to get this out there so you could listen to it sooner rather than later. So hi, Crystal, how are you doing? I am very well, thank you. And um, it's a real honour to be on your podcast, Kate. So thank you for asking me. There's so many great people that have come and shared beforehand that it's a real honour to be asked. And a bonus issue, I hope that's a good thing for people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. No, absolutely. And we've been been trying to set this up for ages, haven't we? Because we're both a little bit busy, but um, no, it's just so fantastic. I always love chatting to you so much, Krista. Whenever we've uh, worked together, it's just always brilliant and so much fun. So like I said, we're going to be talking about creativity in MFL, which is in your lovely book, which you can tell us all about in a bit as well. But first of all, yeah, just a bit about your background, like which languages did you study? Why did you study and then start teaching languages? Well, it's really interesting because languages has always been a part of my life without realising. My grandmother is actually Chinese. She moved over here from Hong Kong many years ago. But sadly, never taught us Chinese um, oh. because it wasn't the done thing. I was born a very long time ago, 1973 <laughs> and you know different times. Whereas now we actively encourage support of home heritage and community languages. But so I was always really interested and intrigued. And um, there was no primary experience. I went to middle school in Leeds. And I remember my first French lesson. And I even mentioned this in the book. It probably loads of people have heard me bang on about it. But when I when I was in that lesson, something lit up inside of me and I was in a disgusting brown and gold uniform because it really was that horrible. Um <laughs> with the lovely crest of Leeds City Council, the owl on there. So, you know, again, more brown and gold. And um, I just, something inside of me lit up and I was like, I could travel the world and speak to people in a different language. And I think I'd always had that intrigue there. And um, I'd had a great uncle who was in the military service and fought in various wars, been over to France during the Second World War. And he used to tell me these stories when I was little. So I just had this natural kind of interest in Funnily enough, speaking to people, I think probably people know that about me. I quite like to speak, um, yeah. but speaking in a different language. I mean, how exciting, yeah. just amazing, amazing, amazing. So French was my first language. And then I did that and just loved it. I just would run home and you weren't meant to take your books home from school, but I did. I used to hide mine um, and, and then like run home and kind of pour over it. And it was immaculate. And then my parents moved house and so I had to go to a different school and I had hoped to be able to do French and also start German but because I was joining in year nine they said to me no you can't do German and I said please 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 and I sort of went home and was like I really want to dad so my parents came into school and I was allowed to but I ended up being in bottom set oh no and yet they put me in bottom set because I'd not had any beforehand and I worked so hard and I wanted to take it for GCSE. I'd moved in the January of year nine. So, you know, a great time to move your child. I love my parents, but and their decision was their decision at the time. But my God, challenging (laughs) times. Um, But yeah, I wasn't allowed to take it for GCSE, which was heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. 
That's so weird because you must have been a natural linguist. You know, you must have been really good at French. So could they not see that about you? Yes, I think that's the thing. They did see that and thought, oh, well, you know, she can do French and she can do that while we don't want her doing German and probably not getting a good mark. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a, that was a pervasive issue even back then. So I tried to keep up with German and then, you know, I did A-level, I went to university and then in my first teaching job, they asked if I could do German. So I started doing a little bit of key stage three German. I was so excited, so thrilled again to teach that alongside French. And then in my, I think it was my third school, the head teacher kind of told me in about July, oh, I've got a present for you with your timetable. And it was Spanish. Oh, And it was about the 14th of July. And I was teaching a year nine group in September. Wow. So yes, so I had to learn over the summer very quickly. (laughs) Well, I mean, as you know, Krista, that's a lot of what I do is teaching languages teachers who find themselves in that situation where they're suddenly teaching a language that they don't actually speak. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what a challenge. And the glorious teacher who'd taught them for the two years prior was taking GCSE groups and business studies and things that we'd built up, which was amazing. But I was like, good Lord. And I had this um, really interesting fear that when I spoke Spanish, it would be with a, well, not a dreadful, but not a Spanish accent, a French accent, because that was my first language. So I was so frightened. She'd be like, calm down. It's okay. But it was so funny. She is a, an incredible person and a great help and is actually head of department in in a school now, which is amazing because she was so brilliant and kind to me. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah, I've actually, weirdly, I've been told sometimes that I speak French with a German accent. I did French and German all the way through. Well, I actually started French at school before I started German, but I always knew a bit of German because my mum has a German background. But um, yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I don't know why I sound German when I speak French. It's a bit weird. But yeah, so how long were you teaching for? And then kind of, I don't think I've ever really talked to you about how and why you left teaching and why, you you know, moved on to doing what you're doing now. I graduated in 1998 and I was so excited. I did a five-year degree at um, Manchester Metropolitan University, Manchester Poly, then I think it was. And I loved it. I thought it was the best thing in the world. It was secondary education, French and SEN, special education as it was, and now SEND, of course. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I taught for 20 years here in the Southwest across three schools, all state schools. And I have taught French, German and Spanish. I taught French to A-double and German and Spanish to Key Stage 3. And I also, but only through interest, taught Russian as well. But that was only as an extra kind of after-school club, lunchtime club, languages week, et cetera, et cetera. And um I thought it was the best job in the world because when I first heard French, I was like, oh, I want to travel the world. But then I realized I wanted to be a teacher. So I wanted to be a languages teacher. So when I graduated, my dad was there and my grandmother was there. Um, I was just so, so happy, so excited. I was absolutely elated because I thought the thing I've always wanted to do and be, I'm, this is it, I'm going to be it. And I did it for 20 years and I loved it. And it's, you know, it's not without its challenges, although loving languages and Funny enough, at the end of my NQT year, I became a pastoral lead. So I was pastoral, like head of year, but it was NQT year. Now it's called ECT, isn't it? But it's slightly different. It's a longer period. And I loved doing that. And then I moved to another school after five years. And they asked me to introduce French there because it was only German. And there were lots of native speakers. And I think they probably didn't want me to teach German with my non-native kind of accent, really. So um, it was amazing and I loved it. And I, I live in Bristol, so I've always taught around, not in catchment, but always around. And so I do still see some of these, well, incredibly grown up individuals. And they always tell me stories of their languages, adventures and how they oh, use wow. it, which I love and I'm so proud of. But I do miss the classroom. I left after 20 years because I was like, do you know what? I think it was about seven or eight years ago, maybe even longer than that now, Um Dave Harris and Ian Gilbert from Independent Thinking were trying to get hold of me. It sounds really weird to say that, but I was getting these emails and I knew of Ian Gilbert because in my very first school, he came and worked with the head and the staff of which I was one. Mike Hughes was the head at the time and they did some work together and Ian was a languages teacher and I kind of, I was a bit in awe of this guy who was challenging the kind of status quo. But they were asking me because I think they'd seen me at a teach meet 
here in Bristol at Bristol Grammar School, I think it was a Saturday event, and basically said, um, would you like to come and join us and would you like to be our languages person? And after a while of ignoring it, I kind of, <laughs> somebody phoned me. I think it was lovely <laughs> Nina Jackson, actually, um, who's at Music Mind on Twitter and X and stuff. And she was like, you really need to. And I was like, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was spam. <laughs> like, like, you know, who am I? I'm just this person doing their job in the school, kind of and trying their best every day, but equally. So I had a conversation and they brought me onto their team, if you like, of independent thinkers, which, again, is such a privilege. But they... Um, there were increasing opportunities to work outside of a classroom. And I loved it. And I always, any teacher that I've worked with, whether they're a trainee from Bristol University or Gloucester University or any from, you know, I think we had trainees from Cardiff once as well. I think some from Bath. I'd always say to them, you know, make a difference to the kids there. You know, it's really important to build a relationship with them. Languages is not always like we're super keen and we're experts, but to them, it's a subject which maybe they don't like. They don't always love doing. They don't jump out of bed for to go, oh, I've got French or German or Spanish today. We do most of the time. I think these autumnal kind of weather time from autumn to, what is it, October, half term to February. It's a bit tricky to be leaping out of bed because you love your job so much. But it was amazing. And I just thought, you know what? I can't, I can't carry on working full time and go out and work with teachers to help them unlock their potential and be better teachers. And that was kind of what I was trying to do in my classroom and with people. We had teaching and learning group. We had lots of books and we'd have discussion. We'd travel to teach weeks. We'd do all these kind of really cool things. A big group of us in the school that I was working in at the time traveled up to Northern Rocks, you know, Deborah Kidd and Howell Roberts and Emma Hardy. It was just amazing. And I was like, you know what? I'd love to help more teachers kind of unlock their potential, not because I think they're not good at their job, but we all have imposter syndrome. We all think that we're not good at something. You know, you've said yourself, I've said myself, you know, my German was probably not that good. You know, you speak French maybe with a slightly Germanic accent. You know, we have hang-ups about ourselves as professionals and it would be a shame when actually we should be building people up. You know, the teacher community now more than ever, and this isn't a new thing. You know, I've been out of school for four years now just needs a bit of love and care and attention and and actually for us to stand together and build each other up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I totally agree. And I think one of the things I find about the training that I do is I'm not always telling them new stuff, which is quite funny. And I think I used to get this with training as, as well, is that somebody would come in and they, you know, they would say, oh, you could do this, you could do this. And you think, I know about this, but I'd forgotten about it. And actually, some of the things that I do as well, people, because I always do like a pre-workshop questionnaire. And one of the things I get quite often is I just want a bit of validation that what I'm doing is the right thing. And I think that is so important as well, because, yeah, I can do all, you know, like reading about new GCSE and thinking and delivering these workshops. But at the end of the day, I'm just contributing a bit of my thoughts and knowledge to what people already know and what they can already do. Like like I was saying, like validating kind of what they already do and just saying, yeah, you're doing a great job. I think you're absolutely right there. That's so true because, you know, I do work for independent thinking. I've done work for Vima that takes me out. You know, I work here in the UK and outside of it. And I've been to some amazing places, but teachers are the same. They want some validation of what they're doing. And just that thing of, oh, yeah. Oh, you've said that and I do that in my classroom. That's brilliant, you know, and then you can build upon, you know, remind them of things that they perhaps used to do in their early career years that perhaps because we're all busy, you've got responsibility, all of these things, but they work in the classroom and also that thing of, oh, yes, that did used to work really well because this isn't working particularly well with my class, with my learners, and that's making me feel bad. So let me look at it from their perspective. Let's look at it from a learner perspective, see what they think. Maybe engage some student voice and go, do you know what? We can't play games all the time. We can't use tech all the time because the school doesn't have that facility. But equally, we can do this. And let's let's change things up a little bit and see it from a different perspective. There's a wonderful graphic that I love and adore by an American kind of graphic artist called Gaping Void. I'll send it to you. It's amazing. And it's like small changes make a big difference. And it's not about teachers in the languages classroom working harder. It's about finding what works and those small things. Like, you you know, you've said that validation, things like that just makes you stand up a bit taller, feel a bit brighter. Like, yes, yes, 
I did some training with Kate or I did some training with Krista or I did some training with, you know, Joe Dale, for example, somebody, you know, about tech. And and then actually you feel like, oh, I can do this because you're walked through, you're reminded of something that kind of reinvigorates and re-inspires you. So as wonderful as the classroom is, because I feel dreadful saying it's the best job in the world because I think it, it is and it can be. I know things aren't always perfect because life isn't, but I love working now outside of the classroom with languages teachers and whether that's with ALL, VEMA, ITL, LSEE. It's amazing and it's such a privilege to do so, but I do miss a classroom. I do miss working with a timetable of my own kids to see their progress over time, which is why I, I also love doing work as an SLE kind of in and out of schools doing helping where I can really so yeah so all this does actually bring us on really nicely to talking about creativity because I think the creative side of teaching can often be the first thing that you get rid of like you know when the the curriculum is so full and it's so busy and you're really really focused on the GCSE or you're really really focused on working your way through a textbook I think sometimes the creativity can be the first thing to kind of go so I wanted to talk to you about the different things in the book that you have written, which is simply called MFL by Krista Hayes. <laughs> you can tell us about you can tell us about that in a minute. It does have a, a subtitle: How to Make Modern Foreign Language Teaching Exciting, Inclusive, and Relevant. And I think the creativity element is such a key part of this. So if we start by thinking about drama in MFL, so I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before. Do you know what? I've done a little bit of Amdram. How exciting. I haven't ever done any Amdram. I know. I know. I love it. Yeah, I've done like a couple of musicals. That's amazing. Love a bit of drama. I haven't. And this is an admission that, gosh, do I want to share this? And yeah, I think I do. We did a talent show in that middle school that I talked about, you know, the one with the brown and gold uniform. And I remember being stood there on stage with my friend as a clown. You can just, my dad's fishing hat. I had a flower in my, in the hat. And I couldn't remember my half of the joke. It was awful. It was so awful. Oh, so no. never, never to no. be repeated. My parents <laughs> laughed. The audience laughed. My flower dropped. My hat. I mean, really, it was a comedic moment, but I died on stage at that moment. And I was like, never again am I doing anything like that. So well done, you. Major kudos to you. I know. No, this is in recent years as an adult. No, I love it. I love it. It's, um, yeah, it's great fun. Yeah. So <laughs> apart from in the classroom... So what kinds of activities can MFL teachers do in their language lessons to add a bit of kind of drama? Well, I have to say, obviously, everything has to be kind of our curricula. Everything that we do is based on the national curriculum or it shouldn't always be based on the exam syllabus. But let's be honest, for many people it is. It is because the stakeholders, you know, head teachers, parents, even the learners in front of us, you know, and any external friends that come in and visit us for a few days, they want to see progress and they want to see good grades, you know, Ofsted, Estin, whomever, or if you work in an international school, that kind of, you know, the international inspectorate. But you want to do a good job. And, and actually, as a languages teacher, listen, speaking, reading, writing. So drama and, you know, people coming out, oh, drama, but, you know, drama is absolutely does have its place in the languages classroom. And the reason why it does is because it beautifully, beautifully helps you cover listening and speaking activities easily, maybe even reading activities or that aspect of writing your script, writing your piece, developing that. So all of those language skills are there. Obviously, then looking at grammar, phonics, accuracy and speaking, all of these things can be part of it. Because, you know, I mean, for us, we... Very simply, when we're modelling a text, when we're introducing new vocabulary or a new chunk of grammar or whatever it may be, we are performing for our students. You know, we're showing them how to use their voice, projecting voice, and we want them to do it as well. And we want them to be great speakers and listen to us, hear the difference, the nuance, if it's a phonic sound that they're not getting, you know, that ending on, I don't know, the basic composé, something like that. If there's a vial clause, you really want them to say it because if they say it, then they know that there's an inversion, all of these things. And for me, it was a way of students don't necessarily like speaking. I've pretty much taught in secondary. I've done some primary support and some primary work, but not vast amounts. My entire career has been teaching in the secondary classroom and therefore working with 
teenagers who, when they hit their puberty years, you know, year eight, <laughs> and yep. you know, they start to curl in on themselves, they look down at their kind of collarbone and, you know, speak down or hide behind their fringe, or they don't want to speak because maybe there's other people in the classroom who they like or who's laughed at them or whatever. Now, for me, if you bring in a little bit of drama, if you bring in, you know, perhaps as simple as the weather, as simple as, you know, clothing items or injury or illness, not injuring each other in the classroom, I hasten to add, <laughs> but, you know, that thing of yeah. going to the doctor, going to the dentist, you know, it's a role play, that kind of transactional thing. And it can be really fun to just bring in a little bit of drama, a little bit of props. And I know budgets are finite, but you can either go to charity shops, you can go to the drama department in your school, you can go to local theatres if they're getting rid of things. And obviously these are um, cleaned and, you know, some of them might need a little bit of spray or something on them because it might smell breeze. a bit. Well, a bit of Febreze, that's it. I, I didn't know if we could say brands, but yeah, a little bit of yeah. Febreze. Um, something and then just kind of bring it into the classroom and I did you know hats wigs microphones the inflatable ones I also did like wands fans all of these things and just put them in a box and so those students that were reticent to speak I would be like right okay gonna do a performance and I had a teacher iPad in certainly my most recent school and then the school before that we didn't have those we just had sort of little standalone recording devices that we let them use and those that didn't want to speak I'd be like right okay but I kind of need you to speak because it's part of what we do isn't it you know you can write beautifully hooray but you know I, I need you to be able to, be able to speak that because if you go to France Germany Italy Spain you know South America I need you to be able to speak not write down what you want and show it exactly just like walk into a boulangerie and write une baguette on a bit of paper. Yeah, exactly. And just show it <laughs> yeah. because it's rude. And actually these people are already going to be speaking to you, the person on the other side of the counter. So I need you to respond to that. And also I always said, you might meet the person of your dreams. And if you can't speak to them, you can write, then they've already gone because <laughs> writing is so old fashioned, like, you know, script letters, like, come on, it's just not a thing. Of course it is because writing is important, but you know, to get them to do it. And it was really interesting because I'd start setting, and again, this was in discussion where I was kind of pulling my hair out to a degree, because you do as a teacher, you want the best for your kids, you're like, oh, well, how can I do it? But, you know, not all of them have phones, not all of them want to do this. And um, Nina Jackson, again, sort of said, well, you know, get them to do it outside of school. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, as own work. So before influencers kind of were a thing, or maybe they were just starting out, but kids would go to the park and like do their role play film it on their phones and then email it to me so then I'd have their recording but they oh, chose in the space and they were like oh can we wear our own clothes does it have to be our uniform can we do this can we do that so they were using their own ideas but then when, when we brought that dresser box into the classroom we got them to kind of put on wigs hats and they became this persona so this thing became not just a, a speaking activity and listening activity or role play it became an act, a piece of drama. So we taught them how to project voice. We taught them how to hold themselves and stand up, which is obviously, you know, only maybe done in drama, but then the work of School 21 and Oracy, the Oracy programme, the incredible work they're doing there, empowering their learners to have a voice and use it well to debate and discuss. And that's across every curriculum area. It's really incredible work. I was like, well, why can't my children here in the Southwest learn how to speak well and with confidence? Because there was this one boy that I taught who did engineering, German, French at university. Incredible young man. Amazing. Lovely. I can still see him now. When I did the GCSE and day-level oral with him, he had his hands up his jumper, balled into fists and was like punching his way out of his jumper the stress that was placed oh, wow. on him was such that, you know, just in that context of that microphone and speaking being in that space, you know, for 15, 20 minutes, you know, of doing that, it's really, really hard and quite alien. Actually, you don't do that in a conversation with people in the real world. So I thought about him and I thought about what I could have done differently. And I thought, well, there's nothing in any of the example rules to say that they can't wear a sombrero. They can't wear <laughs> big comedy star glasses. They can't wear 
a headscarf, a beard, whatever, you know, comedic item that they've chosen from the dresser box or they've brought in to help them speak. Or even like a fake microphone to pretend that they're, you know, performing or something. Yeah. And if you think about Greg Horton and a group talk and all the work he did years ago, talking about that, you know, in the teacher's TV video, he's got those inflatable microphones and, you know, you can find other ones around, even just a card one, just whichever. It's just amazing. And, and I have to say, the early career teacher at the time brought in, I'll never forget it, brought in like a rainbow clown type curly haired wig. Oh my goodness. The children were like, can we, um, Miss, I, I've decided I need to do my speaking today with so-and-so. So me and you, Kate, we're, we're going to do our speaking. But we must wear the rainbow wig and, you know, Kristen must wear this. And I kid you not, they were falling over themselves to do it. They were desperate to speak. That's so that amazing. Little bit yeah, of drama. Yeah, and, yeah. But then, you see, there's other things that we did. And they, again, this was not my idea. This was a wonderful TA at the time. He was a trained languages teacher. I didn't know that. Just had an interest in, in languages. And she became a teacher in our school, which is fantastic creative made lots of things very creative knitter kind of did amazing cool things and um she said why don't we make sock puppets because we had to do these enrichment days and why don't we make sock puppets and do a whole french day so we got our key stage three learners to literally make sock puppets to overcome their fear of speaking as well because there's only so many dress items you can have and use and you can't have you know four or five different boxes around the languages classrooms at the time then So, you know, you have to plan it carefully. And of course, we're not like the science departments that had like a prep team you can book it in advance (laughs) for and then they bring it down to you. No, but we should. We should have this. (laughs) I know. Tell me about it. Um, Especially tech support and things as well. That would be marvellous. So she decided on this enrichment day that we could make sock puppets. And I was like, Lucy, I just, I, I, I don't know how to do that. She goes, I'll just get some socks and get some foam for mouths. And we have got these amazing in this one like half day session, we'd have groups like half the year group. So I think it was 160 kids with us, with the languages teachers. And they'd basically create a role play, a discussion, a speaking activity. And then they'd perform it with sock puppets. We would record them and then they could be sent to primary school. So we could do things like numbers, counting and the learners would choose themselves what they wanted to do. And we're kind of like, well, do you know what? You can't all do numbers. How about what else have you learned this year that you can show what you know, you know, show us and maybe teach to somebody else? And again, it's the same children hiding under a desk with a sock on their hand, their hands moving like, like sock puppets do, but they're speaking. So they don't even need to show their faces with something like that, do they? No, no, no. Exactly. I was just thinking, I don't know if you tried it, you could do that with soft toys as well, couldn't you? Yes. You could just, yeah, just put them on a desk and pretend that they are. Yes. Languages teachers always do the cool stuff, don't we? So like prepositions <laughs> and things like that, you know, there was the soft toy and that's really fun too, because they then want to move the soft toy and kind of do this, don't they? But it's not massive amounts of drama, massive amounts of performance, but I tell you what, in those enrichment days in year seven, when we did the sock puppets built up, when we did, I think it was year eight, we did a fashion show. There's a picture circulating somewhere. I think it might even be on my blog somewhere of me in um, one of the cheeky young students that I used to teach said, Miss, we brought something for you to wear. And it was a Scooby-Doo onesie <laughs> before onesies were a big thing like they are now. And yeah, he said, please wear it. And I was like thinking, I don't know if I can. Oh my gosh. Like I'm oh, growing wow. up, I don't know if I can. I did get into it. I think I was in it for about 10 minutes. And there were a couple of photos. I might send you on cake for a little bit don't put <laughs> yeah. it next to this. No, I won't publish it. I won't, I promise. And these are things that maybe we don't have time to do in the classroom, but you know, there are other things as well. There are Kagan strategies and you can take students out of the classroom, get them away from their desks to practice speaking, standing up straight and speaking. And they can have prompts, but you don't want them to read because if they're reading, they've either got a book in their face so you can't see their mouth, so you can't see how their mouth's moving, how clearly they're enunciating their partner can't either. But, you know, they can have bullet points, they can have key things. It's not like they can't have notes in any terminal assessment for speaking. They've got time to think and prepare. So let's do that and in our classroom, but let's jazz it up a bit and you know, just make it easier for them so they're less anxious about speaking and don't feel scared about making a mistake 
that is really key as well. So when you are doing drama activities, when you are doing speaking, it's about respecting, you know, listening to the person speaking, not necessarily tracking them. I know some people do that, but it's about allowing them the opportunity to speak. And it could well be that actually if you do inside outside there's a Kagan activity or to stay, to stray, all these kind of, you know, activities that they're all speaking at the same time and nobody cares because they're speaking, they're trying to get an answer. So that's kind of moving on a bit from drama, but it's still a different way of doing activities to just make sure that learners are speaking the language that you want them to. And there'll be those then that you can see you're not from the front or from the sides, you know, dragging it out of them. They're doing it at the same time. I mean, there's obviously a little bit of work to be done there about setting up your classroom and doing those things, but it can be really great, really powerful to really get them to not fear speaking in front of others and also listen to one another. Yeah. I think there's so much to be said for doing something in character. So as I just said, I have done a bit of Amdram. And it's funny because I think people think I'm a very confident person. And I, you know, I like talking, I like presenting and stuff like that. But I get super nervous doing stuff like as me, as Kate. But when you're a character, and especially when you've learned lines, so you're not actually having to think about what you're saying because you kind of just learned it all off by heart and you're just saying it. And you just put yourself in someone else's shoes and you just perform as a character. Okay, yeah, I've been nervous when I've done plays, but I'm probably less nervous than, you know, when I when I get ready to do a workshop, I'm like super, super nervous. But yeah, and I and I think so for for students in particular, I think that that will really, really help them to, you know, say like, right, you're just a character. You are, you know, Jean-Pierre instead of Johnny. And, you know, you are French and you could, you know, and you could do all this. And I remember at school, like, I always wanted to be silly and do funny things. If you were doing (laughs) it, I know, shockingly, if you're doing like a cafe role play or something, I always wanted it to be really silly. And I was always really keen to do that kind of thing. And I think there's a lot of kids out there. But then if they're not, then it doesn't matter if they're not, you know, so. Yeah, because I mean, if they are then taking it on board, you know, you've got a hook in, haven't you? You've got a hook in, you've got them hooked into languages. It's a different idea. It's a different perspective. And, you know, going back to your cafe, you know, situation, you know, it's really nice. I know Liam Printon's mentioned it on his um, podcast, but why do normal food? Why not do like apologies, everybody, bogey pizza or something like that? Or, you know, just something a little bit different. I stole that a little bit because <laughs> I talked to him about it and he was talking about disgusting milkshakes. And I've written um, some lessons for Key Stage 2 for a company called Yuhu, which is about E-U-H-U. And for one of the French lessons, I did a disgusting cafe with like spiders and eyeballs and just like really disgusting things and it's just it's weird vocab that they're probably not really going to need to know but it was just yeah it's just a bit of a twist isn't it it's a bit of a take on so the actual dialogue is quite simple and straightforward it's literally you know like hello how can I help you what do you want blah 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 but the actual menu is all these disgusting things and there's some adjectives in there and there's a little bit of explanation about adjectival agreements and stuff. But I just thought, oh, yeah, there's a thousand boring cafes out there. Like, why not do something a bit different? Yes. And for some of those learners, it's just something different. It's something different. And if they haven't, you know, in the time that we're talking right now, you know, cafe experiences, money, finance, you know, it is difficult. So it can become a peculiar lived but fun experience where people can engage and just do something a bit macabre or, you know, a little bit different, subversive, not to cause offence, but just have a little bit of fun with just to do something different. And it's, it might be a hook in and it might be a way, it's a quirk, it's something different from the norm. And languages is different from the norm because it's something that they, you know, it's not just language learning, it's about culture too. And, you know, it helps us to break down barriers and, you know, so many different aspects to it. But yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's not, you have to be, I say you have to be confident. You have to be prepared to stand there and put on that wig or hat or whatever and do it. But then if you have someone in your classroom who's monitoring, perhaps who's speaking, you know, or you've got a roving reporter, somebody who's listing down credits or merits or whatever, you know, when you've given them a, a clipboard and a pen, a pair of glasses and like a journalist kind of hat, you know, back in the 1950s when they always had a hat with a little bit of paper on You know, small things make a big difference and it's about allowing them to have a bit of fun because education and learning, certainly in language, it can be fun and should be fun. It shouldn't be a process done to people, I don't believe. So the creative way is always a fun way. 
you know, and it's, if it's a hook in, it's a way that we can get them doing without laboring and trying to drag it out of them. Because if they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. We have to find another way. There's always another way. I've been thinking a lot with the new GCSE, as in, you know, first teaching next September. It feels like it's coming around quite quickly because it's quite limited. <laughs> Let's put it that way. It's quite limited in the number of words that they need to learn and what they need to do. I'm actually really, really thinking a lot more that the key stage three curriculum, I feel like it's opened up the key stage three curriculum. I feel like you don't need to prepare kids in key stage three for the GCSE with this new GCSE. And it really opens it up to a lot more creativity and projects and the types of things we've just been talking about. Like, I actually think that is one of the biggest positives of the new GCSE is that you don't have to start thinking about it at key stage three. And actually, there's more space for doing a lot of really fun stuff. Right. Can we move on to music in MFL as well? So I think I could talk about drama forever. Music is kind of a part of that as well, because there is a, I mean, a slight performance element, but also it's really good for listening and input as well, isn't it? It was always really amazing to do like a music project in, I don't know, you know, the summer term, something like that. You know, you've done hobbies with key stage three, perhaps year eight. And it's quite nice to do something if we did them. Show me what you know activity at the end of year seven, then perhaps in year eight, we do like a um, a music project. And then in year nine, we do, we'd look at like a film project. It's always really nice because you want to expose and show and encourage the learners in front of you to explore language and not just the language in the textbook, not that actually in the last few schools, actually we use textbooks. We created other things because we decided as a group of people that perhaps it wasn't what was out there wasn't what we wanted. We designed our curriculum such that we wanted lots of different types of resources and and music was one of them. And when I first started doing it, ringtones, you know, there's music, <laughs> ringtones. Yeah. So, so you could have various different songs when you phoned me, Kate. And, you know, it was just amazing because I kid you not, Bristol, I've always taught in and around Bristol. So, and it's been a privilege to do so. But, you know, there's a really incredible music scene here. Yeah. There is everywhere. But for kids to kind of look at you and... Not everywhere. Not in Peterborough. There's not. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure there is. I'm sure Maybe. there is, Kate. I'm Maybe. sure there is. <laughs> but, um, yeah, in Bristol, there were these amazing musicians and things and these kids that were really kind of, you know, musically minded. And there was an incredible music department in the second school I worked in as well. Really amazing. Lots of performances, lots and lots of kids. It was so superb. But when you played the music in French and one of the teachers, we did a series of assemblies in French and German and Spanish. And then as they kind of went out, we played MC Solar or we played Milan Farmer, someone like this, you know, and these kids were just like, they stopped in their tracks and turned around and was like, what is this? And it's like, well, it's, it's rap in French what and it's like their minds exploded you know that emoji where they're oh yeah yeah and it absolutely was these kids minds had exploded because they didn't realize that you would rap in french they didn't realize that you would sing in and it's like well yes they do and there are various people who sing in spanish and english and i love music like music is a you know very important to me as a person Though I'm not musical and don't play any instruments, I love consuming it. And so it's really important. And there was an, an assistant head in my third school and she taught sociology, humanities, and she found a song that actually when you come into the classroom, it was the theme of the lesson. So the kids were always <gasps> wow. there on time. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? And the kids would always be there on time to listen to the song or the music video. And it was always about the theme for the lesson. It's so interesting. And I thought, do you know what? We can do that in languages too. And actually bringing that in and not just translating the song. You can teach them a song. You can also do year six or year five, year seven, you know, YMCA to the alphabet, but also phonic sounds <laughs> and these kind of, you know, we have, but there's more to it than that. And you can find music. Obviously, you've got to be very careful with, you know, various different musicians, rappers, people, because it's not always appropriate for the classroom. And you have to be very, very mindful of that. But, you know, and when they go off to explore, in terms of safeguarding what's out there on the internet, you always have to make sure that you just alert parents. Yes, they're going to be looking at this. But, you know, just be mindful of that some of it isn't appropriate for young 13-year-old or 12-year-old eyes. 
but it's it's really good fun and when they kind of go oh, i found this song it's so amazing you've got to listen to it and you're yeah. like oh right okay then can start by and then thinking well actually yeah we can play this in our lesson then they can stand there or sit in their chair and talk about why they love that song so it's a revision of opinions reasons you know linking words adjectival agreement phonics and again overcoming speed they're speaking about something that they love and it's something that they found and they've you know which is great what I love about this is because I think when I think of music, I think, oh, yeah, you know, they need to listen to the lyrics and you need to do a gap filler. You need to kind of understand what the lyrics are about. And actually, I mean, I don't understand English lyrics half the time. So actually, yeah, it's not necessarily about fully understanding a song or even being able to sing along to a song or something like that. I think what I love about what you're saying is that it increases motivation and then there's an intrinsic motivation there of going online and finding their own songs, finding things they're interested in, immersing themselves a bit in the culture of the foreign language, finding something that relates to them that, you know, and I think like particularly for a lot of British children who might think, oh, French kids are so different to us. And then to actually find that there is this whole French rap scene, for example, of, or drum and bass scene, or techno, yeah, or hard, exactly. hard rock, and but of kids who look like them, who possibly yes. even come from the same region that their ancestors came from, you know, things like that. Like that, it's not necessarily something that's just like you know, I don't know, Edith Piaf or things like that. Like it's, yes, exactly, you know, exactly. Yeah, it, it's a lot more modern. Do you have any tips or like? I mean, obviously, other than YouTube, like, where can you find... Because I'm really out of the loop now with any kind of... Any kind of music, like even English modern music. I, I would say radio stations. So if you... When you did your year out in country, if you listen to a radio station, do it. Internet radio is a thing now. Spotify has playlists. But, you know, you don't necessarily want that kind of traditional French, traditional Spanish. But it is quite nice. Music channels are always really good. They have some quirky things. But, you know, ask them who they've heard of. You know, if you're kind of reading magazines, authentic magazines, you know, from Spain or when you travel up there, you're picking up magazines in the airport. You see, I'm so old fashioned. I love a physical magazine to look through. But, you know, some of us do it online. If you look at those, then why not do that? And there's various different websites linked to you know, sort of young people websites and things, you know, for film and for music that you can find and you can just see what basically in their top 10. I know that sounds, again, very old fashioned, but you know, what's streaming, what are they listening to? And um, just show a little bit of variety. Obviously, listen to it first, see if you like it, make sure it's appropriate. So someone's brought in a song, you know, you've come into my class, Miss, it's, it's a fan, it's brilliant, it's only German. All right, okay, you've listened to it, it's okay. But they're still really hooked in. Wouldn't it be glorious? Because now you've kind of crowdsourced that now, haven't you? It's not been you searching the internet. It's been a homework that you've set or something that they've discovered and they brought it back. So then you're kind of like going, well, I need to use this. So maybe there's a time when you can use it as they're coming into the classroom or when they're leaving as a treat. But also I used it when we, um, and I'll never forget SLT's face when they walked in with a group of people and we were doing this. So we'll play music quite loud. I think it was a French lesson. It might have been trio or someone like this playing quite loudly. But it was like a three-minute, 45-second song. We'd done lots of reading. We'd read aloud. We'd done, you know, listen, speaking. Reading now was the reading comprehension bit. So there was a text and there was like eight questions. And I wanted them to answer it. And I said, Do you know what? You know what the questions are. You know what the text is. We've mined it, mined it, drilled it, read it aloud. You've got this. I'm going to play this song and by the end of this song, that's it, your time is up. And they were like, <laughs> and instead that's of the timer, you know, the thing we've had, Mission Impossible, dun, 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 mm -hmm. dun, 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 dun. but something else is just like, it helps them focus. Now, for those learners in our classrooms who do have issues with sound, who, you know, if it's too loud, it becomes just too much, becomes overwhelming. We need to be mindful of that. And this is where knowing your learners is really important. But, you know, it's a really nice way to use it as well. Maybe not doing that every single time. Oh, no, definitely not. Because I can't concentrate if there's any music in the background. But then for some people, they can't concentrate when they're when it's silent. So I think, yeah, it's such a good way of kind of catering for for different people but yeah doing 
like doing sometimes having music in the background and then sometimes not. And I think this links quite well with film as well. So music and film, again, both being such a key part of modern culture, you know, popular culture, that kind of thing. So in what ways have you used film in your MFL teaching or would you recommend that people use film? Well, we've done obviously film projects. I think everyone's done Le Corbiste and, you know, Ghoul and... Das Wunder von Bern, have you done that one? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's so many films that we've done and everyone's like, oh, I've done this, I, I want to do something different. I don't want to do Le Petit Prince, I've done it 50 million times and Un Chat de Paris doesn't have enough language, da, 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 all these things. Well, do you know what? Films are amazing, authentic resources, they are fun and, you know, you can use short films too, but it's really nice to say to the kids, you know, this project, end of term, because we know some departments, we all get told to teach to the end. You have to teach to the end, don't you? And yet some departments put on Groundhog Day or a Christmas Carol and you're like, oh, this is really kind of causing an issue in my lesson because they're coming and I want to do languages with them, but they've been watching a video. So it's a, a way of harnessing that and not putting on Ghostbusters or... I don't know, something, and finding an authentic film that's appropriate, creating some activities to go around it, you know. And when I taught in the Forest of Dean, when I taught here in Bristol, and you say, right, you're going to watch an authentic film again, permission, you know, from parents, making sure that you detail, send the left home detail where there's maybe a couple of things, if there is something and if you haven't ever heard of Interfilm, then definitely check that out because it's a free site for teachers. If you're a teacher, it's free and you get access to films, but also teachers say how good they are and, and for some of the real resources. So they're rated by teachers about appropriacy in the classroom. Those then have been um, certified in terms of UK standards, because obviously we know our international colleagues have different things that are accepted yes, in media. Yes. And actually we don't have that. You know, we have a watershed, we have some very strict regulations. And again, it's about safeguarding, not exposing children to things that are inappropriate to grown up. And that could be a theme throughout. It could be something that's shocking or traumatic that, you know, perhaps has happened in their lives that could mirror it. And we don't want to do that. So, but into film is absolutely brilliant and like I say it's free but there's so many different ideas that you can do and breaking a film down so you watch it so you do some work but then watch a bit of the film let's open our booklets let's do this task what vocabulary have we've heard also there's um various different channels if you obviously Netflix now is a massive massive thing programs there but again it's about finding appropriate things is Lupin appropriate for the classroom? Yes, it could be, but it depends how old your learners are, you know, but there's some really nice things that you can do to help build vocabulary, listen, authentic listening resources. You know, everybody complains that listening is, uh, you know, the quality of listening resources isn't there. And so try to go to a native um, speaker kind of film or authentic resource and that may be good, but it might be too much for your learners. So you do have to break it down and you do have to, you know, do some creative things with it. But it's really nice for them to be able to write about something that they love. And even even the weakest of learners, if you get like a 30 words sheet, you can just say, okay, fill it with things that things that you think you hear, what you think's going on. And obviously you've got the visual stimulus. It's not just a listening exercise. So, you know, it's a watching exercise, but jot down some things that you want to say. What can you say about this? recycling language that you've used and then so you're explaining them to authentic array of voices and also showing them something that's different that's exciting you know about life in south america or you know life in north africa something like that and it doesn't have to be a whole feature film because through dr judith riffiza who works for ncle now introduced me to shorts short films which i loved watching myself but authentic material shorts and the last year or so I did some work with the BFI I've I've passed that baton on now but um but using shorts in languages education for key stage two key stage three key stage four and of course you can use them at key stage five and it's just really interesting because it could be five six seven minutes they don't have to have subtitles but some do you can find them on the web they're free and you know they're amazing they could have a moral edge they could just have a little bit of fun but they're in French, German, Spanish. And there's some beautiful, beautiful shorts out there that you can use to raise awareness of, you know, international cinema beyond UK and US cinema, because, you know, there are films that don't just have to be translated. 
and listen to those. It's, they're really fun, really, really fun. But it's about permissions and finding time and where does it fit in your curriculum as well? Because, you know, we're all very busy kind of making sure that we do the right thing. But I think that's what I was saying about how, you know, does the Key Stage 3 curriculum in particular, does it have to have anything to do with the GCSE? Could you spend a whole half term focusing on a film and working on that film and working on the characters and, you know, analysing it and looking at it from different angles and looking at the cultural aspect and even if there's a historical aspect and things like that, you know, I think it's very easy to just go, oh, right, the last week of term, I'm just going to put a film on and I'll do a couple of worksheets so it looks like they're working because, you know, let's be honest, that's probably what a lot of people do. And that's, I mean, I'm saying that from <laughs> from a position of that's something I've done. But I think actually building a whole half term or even, a, I mean, a term, I don't know, it depends how, how often you have the lessons, based around a film and even a short film. You know, I, I just, I, I don't see why we have to keep our focus so narrow on, well, but we need to do a topic on like school subjects and describing your school and things like that. Like, why not do a film if you want to do school, a film that is, there's a really good French film, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a young lad who ends, like he's from a, a poorer family and he ends up for some reason living with his rich aunt and uncle and cousin and going to like a posh French private school. I don't, just Isn't that Nicolas? Possibly, yeah. I, I, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of thing and looking at what a French school is like. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. It's just something off the top of my head, but... um. And it's really interesting you say that because I have the privilege of doing some work. I say work, it's not really. Finding people to do webinars for Lingoscope and part of that responsibility, if you like. When you're in school, you kind of develop your teachers and spotlight really good practice. Well, I can't do that anymore if I'm not in the classroom. But what I can do is kind of look at what people are sharing on social media and then invite them like I did your good self you know to come and kind of share <laughs> I was gonna say I've, I've done a couple of those yeah 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 to come and share an aspect of your practice and Margarita Mortimer lovely lovely lady came and did a webinar about Encanto oh, 50 wow. minutes and she talked about how she uses it you know what could you use it for well colors you know you've got family you've got a house you've got a description there's so much that you don't have to watch the whole film because maybe the children have seen it. But do you know what? It's an opportunity to take something that they already know and maybe give some feel-good factor, you know, family relationships, you know, that brother is this kind of seemingly devious character. But, you know, there are lots of different things. And as you say, you know, it's just a bit of fun and it's about bringing something different to them. And it's about seeing the bigger picture. Why are we teaching them languages? And look at the key stage three programs soon. Look at that. We want them to communicate. We want them to be engaging with authentic materials. We want them to be able to listen and respond, speak in response to questions, you know, be able to talk with increasing accuracy. And, you know, it's not going to be beautiful because they're not, you know, they're maybe 13 or 14 or 15, you know, and it maybe was until maybe after my first year right, in France after A-levels that, you know, I started to feel confident about speaking French well in front of people because I felt that I could. I felt like a real French person understood what I was saying. And these kind of opportunities are really nice, again, to hook people in. And it's a, maybe a creative solution to flashcards, textbook, da 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 da, da. And I'm not berating textbooks or flashcards. You know your learners and it's important to know your learners and find out ways to hook them in because otherwise they'll switch off and maybe we don't have time to do it but think about it from their perspective and if you've delivered the same type of lessons curriculum using the same resources over a period of time you know are you feeling a bit bored by it is there something else out there and you know the wonderful joe dale set up the mfl twitter archer what a godsend my god i mean really how many all of us various different languages across the globe come together to share brilliant ideas because because of Joe's work. And I've had loads of ideas because of that. And, and I'm in contact with incredible people as a result of that. And it just, you know, you don't have to do all the work. Just ask, oh, I've got an idea for this. Can somebody help? Has anybody got any ideas? Because, you know, different schools, different situations. And basically, I'm tired, I'm busy. I, I don't know if I've got the brain space to be able to think about it. So can someone help me? There's also obviously 
the secondary languages group on Facebook. There's lips for primary. There are so many different things and it is just maybe seeing things differently because if you're on that treadmill of exam, 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 transition, 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 you know, the pillars of is there vocab, grammar, phonics, da, 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 it can get stale. We all can get stale and it can get a bit, you know, we need to look at the big picture. Why are we doing this? What do we want our learners in Bristol, in Peterborough, in London, in the Northeast, in Durham, in Scotland, in Cardiff, in Snowdonia, what do we want them to be able to do at the end of three or five years of our curriculum? What do we want them to be able to do? And that is important. It doesn't have to be, it would be great. I remember John Tomset saying, the best thing we can give our learners is a brilliant set of exam results. Well, yeah, maybe, but what about the confidence, the ability to be able to speak, to embrace other cultures and new experiences, and, you know, to just open their hearts and minds to things that we live on a really small island. And there's a whole wide world out there for us to explore and really deeply engage with if we can speak a different language. I think, and I say this a lot, I think this is one of the things about languages. It's a real thing. It's not an abstract concept. It is something that people do all day, every day. You know, people in France speak French all day, every day. It's not, a, you know, some kind of abstract academic idea. It's like it is a real tangible thing. And I, again, I've spoken about this quite a lot, how lucky I was as a child that, I mean, my mum was a languages teacher and we went to countries where my mum just like made us speak foreign languages. And I understood from when I was absolutely tiny that people spoke other languages. Like I understood that English was just one language amongst hundreds. I mean, I probably thought there were like two or three, to be fair, when I was a small child, like French and German and Spanish. But yeah, and I think being able to incorporate some popular culture and creativity in the languages classroom really, really helps children to understand that this is something that is relevant to their life and like you're saying opening their mind to the fact that there are people all over the world who are really similar to them the only difference is they speak a different language you know and yeah I love this I really really love this and I really like I'm just saying I really hope that perhaps with the new GCSE that it might free people up a little bit to think about particularly with the Key Stage 3 curriculum, you know, how to make it more creative and how to free yourself from the classic topics that people have already always, you know, focused on in the textbooks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think there's an opportunity for that. But I do think as well that, you know, we are guided and when our visitors, when our stakeholders come in to assess how well, how brilliantly you are as languages teachers, you know, they want to see how you know, they want discussions about the national curriculum. Where are you doing this? It says that you should be doing this. Where are you doing it? And whether you've collapsed your curriculum into two years or three at Key Stage 3, or if you are only having a 30-minute lesson and you think about the um, the framework for languages at Key Stage 2 and you've only got one 30-minute lesson and actually you've divided it or sometimes it's taken because of this, that and the other and quite a few children have to leave. We do have to look at our reality and we can make a difference. We can do it. It's about having a bit of time. It's about perhaps looking at things and going, do you know what? What do I want to do? I can continue to do this. And we do still have to, there are certain things that we have to cover. Or we've got a difficult conversation as perhaps as to why we're not covering it and why are we doing it in that order. But think about the big picture, that end picture. Where do you want them to be? What do you want them to be able to do? For me, I wanted confident, creative speakers. I wanted children who were not fearful to speak a language and have a go. And do you know what? It may not be perfect, but when you're using grammar, it is not a perfect, like a builder's wall. You're not going to build a perfect house. It is maybe going to creak. It, you know, cement is going to drop out. There might be no space for windows or there might be half a wall missing and the roof might be a bit slanted. But do you know what? Those kids have built something because you've given them an opportunity to be creative because that's what you want them to do. You've asked them, you know, Kate, show me what you know. Tell me something. We've been doing this topic this term. I want you to show me what you know. And they might be like, well, what do I do? And be like, well, it's up to you. But you know, obviously, listen, speaking, reading, writing, we're focusing this term on, you know, speaking. So you might want to, and I've had videos of things. I've had models uh, created 
Obviously, we've had cakes, of course, with different vocabulary <laughs> on. Brilliant. Who doesn't love a bit of cake? But, you know, children can be really creative. And there was, I don't know who started it a few years ago, but people were saying kind of, it was like a creative homework. It was up to them. They could do what they wanted. And I'd love that. Like I say, models, paintings, pictures, comic books, graphic novels, role plays. Yeah, you might get a, a newspaper report. You might get um, a bit of tech. You might get... A lot of learners have their own YouTube channels and things, so they might yeah. want to do a little rap song. If you give them the opportunity to do it, and if you can't do it in the classroom, get them to show you what they can do and what they've learned, what they know in this unit of work, you know, which helps to build up those confidence. But you're not deviating away from the language skills and also the framework that you want to do. If this is homework or own work or after-school club, then, you know, and if they've got the tech or they need the comedy wig or the headscarf or, you know, clothing item, hats, whatever, you know, they'll find it and they'll do it because they're motivated to do it. And as you say, it's, you know, maybe Key Stage 3 does create that, but we need to be mindful of the fact that obviously this is breaking away from perhaps what people have been used to because where some of us and maybe schools that this is the education system, but you know, have been so focused on that terminal assessment at the end of Key Stage 4. And I know I have the privilege of working a few days a week for the Association for Language Learning, which is obviously a membership association for language teachers here in the United Kingdom and also some elsewhere. But it's Helen Myers, ALR London, ALR West of England, ALR Manchester, ALR Northeast, and then all these incredible primary hubs and networks are doing brilliant work of sh looking at different ways to do things. And if you connect with one of those, come and join in the conversation and kind of see what's happening. And then you really have a fruitful discussion. And certainly here in the Southwest, lovely Hannah White, who is Madame White on um, Twitter, on formerly, or now X rather. And she <laughs> is lovely. Her and Sarah Cartilage do some incredible work. And their primary events have like 40 teachers that come from the Southwest. Oh, amazing. Like come to just share and discuss and listen. They are doing brilliant work. And that's just one that I know of because I've not been to all of them. You know, there's Liz Lord on the South Coast at Portsmouth doing brilliant work. I think she had Ellie Chettle Cully come and share. And there are brilliant things happening. And we don't all have to be kind of on that treadmill alone in our classroom. It can be a lonely place. But actually, if you just walk into the next classroom or try and connect with other schools and other teachers, whether it's on social media, you know, you know, Kate, the power of this. It's incredible. It's yes, really right. incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also it so. gives you validation as a practitioner that what you're doing is okay or helps to see what's happening in another school down the road in the next town. And, you know, again, it's time. But thankfully, and maybe this is a bonus from the pandemic, I don't know, we are now talking not in the same place. We are actually almost opposite ends of the country from each other, aren't we? Because Peterborough's to the side and I'm this side, you know, <laughs> east and west. But, you know, we can do this meeting online, just helps you share ideas and, and share practice. And it's something the association's been doing for years. And again, Helen, when the pandemic hit, Helen and the lovely Joe Dale, so Helen Myers out of a and London, who's a trustee, and Joe Dale got together and kind of helped to upskill us all how to use Zoom, what is this magical thing called Zoom? Because if anything, we were maybe using Skype, weren't we, with teachers, you know, to connect yeah, with I was. schools yeah. overseas and things. It wasn't even a thing. And like Skype, what is Skype now? Does it even exist? You know, we use Zoom, we use Teams. And it's really amazing that that power of community, I think together we're stronger and actually we don't have to over-question ourselves. We can reach out to people and say, this may be a daft question, but maybe it takes a bit of confidence to do that. But you know, Kate, you're doing sterling work with your podcast. You know, there's there's lots of people doing work that helps us think outside of our everyday. And sometimes, I know it's holiday season, when we have a bit of downtime, a little bit of thinking time, if we're lying in the bath or going out for a run or sat on an exercise bike or watching a film, something just might come to us or someone might just come to us. And if you just reach out and pull on that thread, it might be a golden thread that you can hook up to what you're doing. But it means that you're not doing all the work if you connect with other people and share ideas and you can build a small community that becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think I'm I think I might be biased on this one, but because I, I, you know, I don't connect with 
necessarily with teachers of other subjects, but I think MFL teachers are amazing. I think the communities out there for MFL teachers are like nothing else. And I think, I was going to say we're an odd bunch, as in, I think MFL teachers are always always slightly different. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, I always felt like we're a little bit different to the rest of the rest (laughs) of the subjects. And I think that really helps to build a strong community. So we're going to have to wrap up. We've been chatting for so long and I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. But yeah, so speaking of community, where can people find you on social media and how can people kind of connect with you and work with you? Yeah, well, um, I am on social media. I'm on X slash Twitter, at Krista Hazel. I think I'm wearing a green furry hat that I took when I was working with teachers in Mongolia and it was about minus 20 and my eyelashes froze and it was amazing. So I love that picture. I love that so many of you are still clinging on to X. I left a year ago and I do not miss it. But like, there's still, you're still there. You're just like, you know, yeah, committed, I am, I am. committed core. And then I'm on Facebook, Krista Hazel Education. I guess I didn't know what else to call myself. And then I'm on Instagram. But Instagram is kind of adventures outside of the classroom. There's my blog, which I, I really want to start again. But it was called Adventures in My Classroom. And as I'm out of the classroom, I guess it could be international classroom. I don't know, but it's not mine. So I feel a bit like maybe I shouldn't be blogging, but maybe I should You'd very kindly mention my book and it would be remiss of me to not thank. It's, it's part of the reason why it's called MFL and it's an independent thinking on. And Ian Gilbert, obviously, who is Mr. ITL, came up with this idea of a series of books of which mine was meant to be the first, but I couldn't stop adding things and <laughs> developing things. So it was about the second or third, but there's lots of different books. There's about 10 and it's published by Crown House. It came out the week before the pandemic. So I was like, oh, well, nobody's going to oh, buy that. Right. Then, you know, there was no opportunity for a soft launch or anything. It was a real shame. But I did take it up to Language World to give out a few prizes and golden envelopes and things. But then a few people started reading it and then it appeared on the Linkscope blog for saying one of the books to read, along with, I think, Danielle Morgan's and also James Maxwell's book as well. And that was every MFL lesson counts. And obviously, Danielle's, we all know it, 100 outstanding ideas for MFL. You know, I was just in awe and then people started buying it. Buying it and they was a finalist in the Education Resource Award. So that's great. It's a really good book. I love it. People have read it and said, it's you in a book. Yes, yes, it is. It and is. then I contributed quite recently to the third edition of the Practical Guide to Teaching Foreign Languages in, in the secondary classroom. And that's focusing very specifically on grammar and authentic resources. And that's with Dr. Judith Riffizer. And that's an amazing book to be in because, of course, we all had those books when we were training. I was going to say, that's the one you had on your PGCE, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but people can find me and they can ask questions and get in touch if they want to, but, you know. I'll put all your links in the show notes of your um, social handles and a link to your book and things like that as well, so. Yeah, oh, thank you. That's really kind. I think I'm also on LinkedIn as well. So many platforms. Yeah, I think I've connected to you on LinkedIn. I don't know. If not, then we'll have to. Otherwise, it seems a bit rude now, doesn't it? I know, I know. That's so funny. But yeah. Oh, like I said, I could talk to you for hours, but um, I shall let you go and get on with your day. And just thank you so, so, so much for sharing all your amazing ideas. I can't wait for the feedback on this episode. I know that it's going to be absolutely fantastic. So, Well, it's very kind of you to say and very kind of you to invite me to do this. And I know it's been, we've talked about it and then we've both been very busy but, you know, thank you. It's been a real privilege. You've made it really fun experience. <laughs> oh, it hasn't disappointed, definitely. <laughs> right, so I'll say bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye. My pleasure, Kate. Thank you. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Kate Languages podcast. If you did, please think about leaving me a five-star review. And you can also tag me on social media to let me know you've been listening and let me know your thoughts on the episode. Also, don't forget to subscribe so the next episode of the Kate Languages podcast can be delivered straight to your device as soon as it's released. But until then, auf Wiedersehen, au revoir, adios, bye.